Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. You sort of expected that uh, a state Supreme Court in some blue state was going to be the Alvin Bragg of state Supreme Courts. And uh, yesterday... Colorado State Supreme Court decided that it would be the Alvin Bragg of state Supreme Courts, get their pictures in the paper, uh, get the plaudits from their Democrat socialist colleagues, because, of course, all seven justices on the uh, Colorado Supreme Court have been appointed by Dem governors. That's just a note there. And that's important. We'll get to it in a second. But ultimately, Trump uh, thrown off the ballot in the state of Colorado because he participated in insurrection and he is barred for running for president under the uh, disqualification clause in the 14th Amendment. So says the Colorado State Supreme Court. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Get your reactions. Yeah, should we be concerned? Because, I mean, this is obviously going to make it up to the U.S. Supreme Court. and But will it be overturned? Is this the beginning of the end? The beginning of the end of what? Of Trump. No. Because that's what the mainstream media is saying. Oh, he should be very concerned. Uh, so the uh, Colorado State Supreme Court uh, stayed their own decision until January 4th to give time for appeals. Uh, the primary is March 5th in the state of Colorado. It will uh, likely be fast-tracked to the Supreme Court because of that time frame and because, as you're sort of alluding to, this uh contradicts decisions made by other courts in other states on the same issue, the same uh, argument in complaint form, Article 3, Section, uh, uh, Article 14, uh, 14th Amendment, Section 3, the Disqualification Clause. And in Michigan and Minnesota, they came to different conclusions. The courts of law came to different conclusions there, allowing Trump to stay on the ballot. So this is an outlier, and the Supreme Court is going to have to adjudicate it. Uh, Here was um, law professor Jonathan Turley, George Washington University, reacting to it last night on Kaylee McEnany's program, or as she was manning the news desk. And uh, he described it as one of the most anti-small-D democratic decisions he's ever seen. They had to adopt the most sweeping interpretation on every single issue in order to get where they wanted to go. The only part of the opinion that is not sweeping and broad is when they get to the First Amendment and free speech. Then they adopt a narrow interpretation. They suggest that Trump doesn't have free speech protections. But in order to establish that he committed or was engaged in insurrection, They go back to speeches in 2016 
Uh, and they basically daisy chain these speeches to say, look, he's been at this for a long time. I think that the factual and legal basis of this opinion uh, is, is really so porous that the Supreme Court will make fast work of it. Uh, the um, initial point he made about how they had to offer sweeping interpretations of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment while offering a very narrow interpretation of the First Amendment. It's a really good point. And what he's talking about there, uh, if you read uh, Section 3, the Disqualification Clause, it is um, unclear, and uh, legal scholars debate, whether Section 3 applies to the President of the United States. It is also unclear, in legal scholars' debate, whether it's self-executing. Um, but they had to take so they had to take sweeping interpretations of the language in Section Three while taking a very narrow view of Trump's First Amendment rights, particularly in the context of what happened on January sixth, where in his speech he specifically, explicitly said to you know protest peacefully, as we all know at this juncture. So it's really a rather breathtaking decision. But here's some. Good news of sorts. I think there's a couple of layers of good news here. Number one, I think it's going to help Trump politically. And uh, it may even throw Colorado in play. You want to talk about animating uh, your base, tell them they don't get to vote for the guy they want to vote for. We'll see. Uh, And also maybe some fair-minded people in the middle who don't believe that the ends justify the means. Um, But also uh, Turley makes the additional point that Uh, Again, the decision was 4-3, and as I mentioned, all seven justices on the Colorado State Supreme Court were appointed by Democrats. And in states like Michigan and Minnesota that have rejected this argument, it was some Democrat judges rejecting that argument, too. So we've never needed the the Democratic process more. We need voters to be able to make a decision because at some point we've got to come back together. And I'll note. You know, yeah, there were four justices here that that they finally found a majority to accept this dangerous theory. But there were three Democrats on the other side that refused to sign off. And some of those judges in other states that have rejected this theory, they're also Democrats. And they didn't do it because they had affinity for Donald Trump. They did it because they had affinity for the Constitution. And I'm hoping that we'll see that same profile of courage on the U.S. Supreme Court because we need to speak as one voice right now and to say that what the Colorado Supreme Court did is wrong. This is not what we're about. Well, I mean, it's an actual attack on our democracy, don't you think? And well, I agree with you. Colorado is going to be big time in play because of this move. Well, it's uh, it's quite interesting to see um, reviews coming in from around the world. Um, the uh, president of El Salvador, Naib uh, Bukele, the United States has lost its ability to lecture any other country about democracy. Oh. Boy, Ooh. when you're getting uh, criticized by El Salvador, uh, we no longer look to the United States as a representative form of representative government. That says something. Uh, by the way, um, to uh, Turley's point about uh, judges with no particular affinity for Donald Trump making the right call here, the obvious call, but not willing to... Uh, disgrace themselves like those four justices on the Colorado State Supreme Court in the further in furtherance of politics and in contravention of constitutional law. John Bolton on CNN. John Bolton, not a Trump fan, as you know, and we've gotten into rows on this show. uh, Always substantive. It's fine. 
Um, Bolton is also a Yale law grad. Maybe some people didn't know that. Uh, so he has a bit of a legal background. He practiced once upon a time. Here's what he said on CNN. I think it's completely misplaced. I think this, this Colorado Supreme Court decision is badly wrong for multiple reasons. Number one, the, the 14th Amendment provides that Congress can pass legislation to carry uh, its provisions into effect, which Congress has done on many aspects. It has not put anything with respect to Section 3 on the books uh, since just after the Civil War. Uh, second, the, the idea that uh, 50 different state courts can, can decide a question involving the highest elective office in the executive branch, interpreting the federal constitution as to what constitutes an insurrection against the federal government uh, is, is incoherent. And I think uh, undoubtedly the Supreme Court's going to have to clear that up. In terms of what the framers of the 14th Amendment meant, uh, I, I, think, I think it's quite clear that the radical Republicans in Congress who wanted to suppress the secessionist advocates and governments of the southern states that succeeded would not provide on this critical question of uh, the offices that, that are going to be denied to people who broke their oath to the United States, that you're going to put decision-making authority on that in the hands of the states, including the former secessionist states. That, if that was their intention, they were... They were delusional when they did it. So I'd be willing to bet a small amount of money here that the Supreme Court, uh, if it gets to the merits of this, if it has to, uh, will reverse. There's, there's no other logical way you can uh, apply this, and, and it would sow chaos in elections as far as the eye could see. Wow. Um, by the, and after he got done with that riff, uh, that Klingon who works for CNN named Caitlin Collins, uh, she was uh, completely befuddled. She didn't know what to say to John Bolton wasn't reading from her script. It was a very sad moment for her. You mean the um, Dylan Mulvaney lookalike? She looks the, like Dylan uh, Mulvaney. Sorry. Uh, the the, the um, point that Bolton is making, uh, too, about sowing chaos, Turley referenced it as well. So what, what, what does this do? Oh, I see. You, you, do you want to play this game? So in red states, then, we should have electors like uh, in Colorado file suit in courts where we've got uh, Republican-appointed judges or in Republican-controlled state Supreme Courts. And we should accuse Joe Biden of insurrection for failing to secure the southern border, for example, and sowing chaos in the country, purposely abdicating the federal government's responsibility to provide for border security and national security in, uh, uh, by extension, and that is a slow-motion insurrection. Actually, yep. it's not that slow motion. So um, and all we need to do is have uh, uh, the a state Supreme Court that's controlled by Republicans agree with us. And then Joe Biden's off the ballot in that state. Is that what you want to do? Go back and forth based on political arguments when, by the way, Trump has not been convicted of anything related to an insurrection. He's not even charged no, with even aiding and with instigating an insurrection. But just think for a second. I mean, can you imagine if you lived in Colorado? And you're kind of on the fence about Trump. I'd be all in head first for President Trump for the election. You're, you're going to have your state Supreme Court decide who you can and can't vote for. They're not even giving you a choice. And I love what Vivek Ramaswamy said. But we might yeah, we'll we'll get, get to it later. We'll get to that. But you know who else who spoke out? Our Governor Lizzo. Oh, he's brimming. Oh, he's so happy about this. He used the word uh, vermin uh, just recently to describe who he was targeting. Uh, as one of the leading Jewish governors you know, we'll in the country. We'll clean that up. That's not the soundbite. But he, he was on MSNBC celebrating, you know, saying that this isn't leadership. This 
Man is a threat to our democracy. Yeah, the usual. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy talking about uh, the news out late yesterday that Colorado State Supreme Court, in a 4-3 decision, removed President Trump from its March 5th primary ballot pending appeals, of course. And the uh, reaction was swift, as you'd expect, given the paucity of legal substance behind the ruling. I'm going to go back to something you said, Amy, before we went to Mike Scott for the news, which is how if you're leaning on the fence, this just says, you know what, enough is enough. I'm all in with Trump. Whatever qualms I have about Trump, I'm going with him as a message-sending vehicle to the political ruling class. I think that's a real thing. I think that is why he's going to benefit from this decision, even if it is swiftly overturned by the Supreme Court. And it just reminds everyone, if you didn't need reminding, that, as I keep saying, this is an ends justify the means political ruling class, and it does not end with a free society standing. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA turnkey I mean, Every Republican voter in that state just got disenfranchised. Every reporter or Republican got a slap in the face. Well, and the I fact don't think... that some Democrats in the mainstream media are celebrating this bothers me. They're like, we I... predicted this was going to happen. I don't think that um, there's even many DeSantis, Haley, uh, Ramaswamy voters that want Trump removed from the ballot. They may not want him to be the nominee. But I don't think well, that. Don't you think Chris Christie's waking up going <laughs> like well, happy this morning? But he's, he's a irrelevant. Beast. I'm I'm talking about the actual Republican candidates, not just somebody who's playing a role to uh, sell books and secure his spot on a Sunday news roundtable. I'm talking about real Republicans that are running for president. Um, I don't think their supporters uh, think this is fair play either. I mean, it's it's going to be unfortunate for them because this is going to provide yet another injection of enthusiasm behind Trump in the the, the three weeks we have before the Iowa caucus. But I, I don't think they're um, cheerleading this um, for their own immediate electoral interests, but also just in the sense of this is what you're dealing with. And even if I don't like Trump, if he is indeed the nominee, man, we got to get behind this guy as the means to stop 
what is afoot uh, with all of these new Marxists at both the federal and state levels. I mean, this this kind of um, government action cannot stand, as Jonathan Turley was saying so eloquently. He compared it. He compared this decision to Iran, where they select the acceptable opposition for the electorate to consider. The DNC has gone full fascist. I'll take uh, some of your calls. Uh, by the way, there's a, a good, there's a good saying. Nick Cass reminded me of it. John Cass's brother, who was a lifelong intel officer, foreign service uh, um, official, is something that's out of the Turks, um, and it translates into for the people in spite of the people, as long as it takes. And that's sort of the philosophy of the Democrat socialists. We're because the, the save our democracy, protect our democracy. Yes. We're going to save the democracy from the people in spite of you. We're going to save our <laughs> democracy in spite of you. And we're going to do it for as long as it takes. We're going to keep saving it in spite of you. Uh, my blood's boiling. I just waking up to this. Not fun. Chris and Carrie are on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys. This is a rhetorical question, obviously, but what is so wrong with letting the voters decide? I mean, they may make the wrong decision. Like, oh, yeah. well, they're act- everyone's acting like petulant babies here. Yeah, we're all in kindergarten and, now. And, you know, we, we talk about the unintended consequences and slippery slopes. This is intended consequences, and all we're going to get is tit for tat going forward. I mean, you, they better be careful what they're asking for because— their loose interpretations of the law and the Constitution are going to lead us down a road where all we're going to do is find each, uh, ourselves in courts endlessly and changing everything except living, uh, giving it to the will of the people. We're going to decide it. Let our leaders decide everything. Thanks for the call, Chris. Well, you know, they better be careful what they're wishing for. We've been saying that since Trump's election in 2016 in response to their conduct. And uh, in 2018 and 2020 and 2022, it didn't seem like the reckoning came to uh, end these um, authoritarian gambits, did it? So here again, 2024, uh, with with essentially the principal instigator on the ballot, uh, ostensibly he'll be on the ballot. Um, boy, it's a this is sort of a, a last stand moment. I hate to, you know it's always a last stand moment. Every election is the most important, and it's always the last stand. But but given everything that's transpired over the last eight years, going into next year, it seems different. Uh, we would never never see this in our lifetime. We couldn't even predict this. And over the past five months, I mean, President Trump has been charged with four criminal cases. And I thought that was unprecedented. And now well, it was. this. We just continue to do see things that are unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark's outside. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Before you took my call, Dan, you already answered what I was going to ask you about. Trump is going to be able to flip the Democratic narrative and talking point that democracy is on the ballot. You're 100% right. And I think now it's the only thing left for the Democrats to run on is abortion. Thanks for the call, Mark. Well, Trump was in uh, Waterloo. Iowa, that is, uh, last night said this. It's no wonder Crooked Joe Biden and the far left lunatics are desperate to stop us by any means necessary. They are willing to violate the U.S. constitutions at levels never seen before in order to win this election. Joe Biden is a threat to democracy. It's a threat. 
They're weaponizing law enforcement for high-level election interference because we're beating them so badly in the polls. So um, to Mark's point about flipping that uh, save our democracy, who's a threat to our democracy script? Uh, Joe in Naperville. Yeah, three quick points. No one's been charged with insurrection, not Trump or anybody else. Number two, Trump should have a rally tomorrow in Denver. Yep. And number yep. three. And number three, you know what? The slippery slope has already been gone down. The, the aggressors always set the rules. And if they want to play that, we need to start having civil suits against our governor, Mayorkas, and everybody else for the illegals coming in. We need to have Vinkman um, arrested and tried for insurrection for what he did. Everybody with the January 6th committee, everybody with the Russian collusion, everybody that had their fingers on trying to overturn Trump, needs to be held accountable. Unless we do that, this is not going to stop. Thanks, Joe. I mean, there have been Jan Sixers, some charged, like some Proud Boys charged with seditious conspiracy, but that still doesn't implicate Trump, who is not charged with seditious conspiracy. And so, first of all, even if he had been charged, the case still obviously wouldn't have been adjudicated before the Colorado Supreme Court's decision yesterday. So they're drawing their independent conclusion based on the facts, not based on anything that's transpired in a court of law or even has been or even has been alleged in a court of law, which is among the many problems with the Supreme Court's decision in Colorado, as we articulated. Uh, Rich, Indiana Head Park. Yes, good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy. This is probably one of the biggest uh, forms of voter fraud that I've ever heard. This is uh, this is only short, uh, short of uh, them uh, having the people vote for Trump and then taking all of Trump's vote and throwing them out. That's exactly what this uh, uh, seems like. Thanks, Red. Got a great text message. Dan and Amy, for those that scream and yell that, <clears throat> excuse me, Trump will end democracy, this Colorado court just ended democracy for American voters. Uh, well, at least Colorado voters. Uh, here is uh, Senator J.D. Vance uh, with a... Uh, uh, immediate reaction last evening. It's an effort to stop Donald Trump, not at the ballot box, because right now they don't think they can beat Donald Trump at the ballot box, but to use lawfare, to use the legal process as a political weapon to take rights away from American voters. I, I, I will repeat this again and again. This is not just about Donald Trump. This is about millions of American voters who are being told by judges in Colorado, you don't get to vote for the candidate that you would like to vote for. How is that democracy and how is this in in any way consistent with the howls of Republicans allegedly being a threat to democracy and then left wing judges are telling Americans you don't get to vote for the candidate that you want to vote for? It's preposterous, Kaylee. Here's another thing. And just to make a political point, you've had brilliant legal analysts. The question, I think, for Republican voters is, do we let left-wing radicals choose our nominee? They are staring us in the face saying, we dare you to select Donald Trump as your nominee. I think we take that bet and we go with the guy who's showing that he's not controlled opposition. If we are letting these people select our nominee for us, what good are we as a party? There are some great people running, but this is now, to me, an assault not just on one man, but on the Republican Party's ability to select its nominee for the general election. Uh, that's an, it's an interesting perspective. It's one that uh, one of Trump's opponents shares. Vivek Ramaswamy offered this pledge and uh, challenged his competitors last night after the decision came down in Colorado. That's why I'm making a pledge today that I will withdraw. I pledge to withdraw 
from the Colorado GOP primary ballot unless and until tr Trump's name is restored. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Chris Christie and Nikki Haley do the same thing, or else these Republicans are simply complicit in this unconstitutional attack on the way we conduct our constitutional republic. And I demand that Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley and Chris Christie do the same thing, or else they're complicit in what this security state is trying to do to shut down Trump. I stand by that, and I expect them to do the right thing. Yeah, any response this morning for Haley or from DeSantis? Or oh, well, I haven't Christie? seen it yet, but what do you I'm think about uh, the idea that uh, everybody gets together and says, okay, well, then take my name off the ballot, too? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro, answer line 64636. <clears throat> Excuse me, type in DA, then a quick comment. Glenn in Oakbrook. Good morning. Um, I agree with Vivek that... Everybody should, in the Republican side, should be off the ballot in Colorado. I uh, think that every uh, Republican in Colorado should go out and buy a Trump for president stamp to put on the ballot as a write-in, and um, uh, because you can write him in if he's not on any ballot. And uh, basically, this is really outrageous. This, uh, when I saw this, I was I was extremely upset to see this. So I'm now in 100% in Trump's court. Yeah. See, there you go. Well, I mean, you know, again, I mean, that's what it does. Look, I'm, I, you know, I've have my issues with Trump and have since the beginning. Um, you know, he's a guy who likes celebrities and sycophants, and I'm neither. But um, uh, his presidency was surprisingly productive on on policy. Um, he was surprisingly uh, loyal to the things that he said he would do or attempt to do, and. Um, the need for the repudiation of what is being done to him by uh, mediating institutions in this country is so great. It just um, dwarfs any other concern. You have got to stop these illiberal, illiberal Marxists running around calling themselves the Democrat Party in 2023 America. They, they have to be stopped. Joe and Hoffman Estates. Hey, good morning. Um, the, the Supreme Court works kind of slow. Um, Not always. How long would it take? You think something like this would move along pretty quickly? This is going to get to the Supreme Court straight away. Yes. That's good. Because Trump needs to know whether he's going to dump money into Colorado or not. So... No, no, no. This will be this. This will this. Thanks for the call. Joe. This is going. This is going to move straight away. Um, I mean, this could be uh, before the court, uh, right after the right after Christmas. I wouldn't be surprised. Is there any chance or, or it uh, before Christmas? Because I'm I'm a professional warrior, no. Dan, and I don't like to ruin the. Holiday. I mean, Christmas is Monday, right. so well. you know, pro, pro, I would say next week. But uh, and again, the stay was to January 4th for that reason, the stay of the opinion for that reason. The, the Colorado Supreme Court has a pretty good idea this is going to be appealed and it's going to go all the way off. They're aware of the decisions courts have made in Minnesota and Michigan, for example, as well as the um, <laughs> the stones uh, that it took to uh, issue the decision that they did with the flimsy legal argument they offered. But anyway, um, you know, the the flip side is. Trump could say, I don't need Colorado. Okay, fine. This is uh, 50 laboratories of democracy. Uh, this is when, when Democrats are in charge and they rule the roost, 
this is what you see in Colorado. Go ahead. You know what? Illinois, California, you can take me off the ballot, too, if you want. Why don't you just show everybody who you are? That could be a moment. I mean, it's probably better long term to get this remedied by the Supreme Court straight away. But it would be tempting to um, let them have Colorado until Colorado can get its act together and elect better people at the state level who appoint better people to the Supreme Court, who have some gosh darn respect for the rule of law and for uh, the United States Constitution, for starters. I don't know. Uh, Carl in Barrington. Yes, good morning. Uh, I, I think what will really be revealing is that if it does go to the Supreme Court and the decision is not nine to nothing, uh, if it's a six to three decision, that's going to really tell us something. Yeah, I yeah, think, well. think it's going to tell us something about any judge who justice who dissents in the majority decision to uh, uh, overturn the Colorado Supreme Court's decision. Yes. Yeah, we'll be telling. I wouldn't be surprised um, here. And, and again, Jonathan Turley made the point, you know, three Democrats on the Colorado State, State Supreme Court rejected this argument. I wouldn't be surprised if it's 9-0. I mean, even the leftist judges, justices on the Supreme Court, have some notion of the tit for tat well, that this would this would create if it was allowed to stand with Republicans doing the same thing. And you're going to have ballot fights up and down the ballot about who can and can't uh, be on the ballot based on uh, political conclusions about who is violative of the F- Section three of the 14th Amendment and who isn't. And he was never charged with insurrection, let alone convicted. So. It- Jim in Rockford. Yes, isn't this also a form of voter suppression? Um, because if you think of the Republicans, if Vivek and everyone takes their name off of the ballot, that means that all we could vote for here in Illinois, if the, if Illinois did the same thing, all we could vote for is a Democrat. Well, uh, thanks for the call, Jim. Yeah, I mean... I would say it's voter interference. I don't know if it's voter suppression because I think this is like a GOTV decision. I think this is, this helps get out the vote for Republicans. This Colorado State Supreme Court decision, uh, maybe not maybe not in Colorado if it were to stand, of course, but the rest of the country. But I take your point. Uh, oh, I have a question for you on our text line, Dan and Amy. But I'm going to give you this question, Dan. If any state withdraws from a federal election, does that trigger a collapse of the electoral college vote? Um, no, but well, if I, I I don't I reject the premise that a state can withdraw from a federal election. They're just kicking a person off the ballot. They're not letting them get on the ballot. Yeah, but they're not withdrawing from a right, federal no, election. No. They're still having um, other presidential, ca- sensibly, if this stood, and other presidential candidates, other candidates for federal offices at the state level. No. Uh, Antonio in Bolingbrook. Good morning, guys. Here, uh, Republican Chair, DuPage Township. Um, page 9 of the PDF, their own order, they wrote their own state. All Donald Trump has to do is appeal to the Supreme Court. As long as he's appealing... The Secretary of State of the State of Colorado, this is on page 9, everybody can read this order, has to keep Trump's ballot on, I mean, name on the ballot. Meaning, yeah, they said he should be off the ballot, but at the same time, they're too cute by half. That's how liberals are. They know they're going to start 
a real insurrection if they do things like this. Meaning, all he's got to do is appeal, and the Secretary of State has to keep his name on the ballot while the appeal's being heard. If it's ever heard, if it's not heard, doesn't matter. So they yes. Get that part of it. Yes. Thanks for the call, Antonio. Yes, that's the January 4th stay that we mentioned. You have until January 4th to appeal, and of course, it would be the decision stayed pending the outcome of the appeal, and I think the Supreme Court will act swiftly when. I believe the appeal is filed. So that's where that's at. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender, Signature Bank. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I uh, see from the census that uh, Illinois lost another 84,000 people last year and uh, a lot of people are going to be calling uh, someplace else their home in 2020, someplace other than Illinois, their home in 2024. Are you one of them? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Ten years of, ten consecutive years of population loss, but I know, don't tell that to uh, Governor that? Jelly Belly or the political ruling class in Illinois. It's been ten years straight of population loss. And he lies and says, oh, no, everything's fine, but we even lost a congressional seat. But don't don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, Dan. He's got political aspirations to become president someday. And uh, one of the reasons they're leaving Chicago is crime. And uh, this year, like last year, like the year before and the year before that. And to me, this um, series that CWB Chicago has been doing for the last few years really puts a fine point on it. It's sort of like when we talk about uh, border security and the inability of the federal government to expel people from our country who are here illegally and have committed a violent crime in addition to being here illegally. They can't even do that job. And you have grand hopes that they'll do all sorts of other things when it comes to... uh, border security, when it comes to immigration policy. Well, it's a sort of the same thing here. A 16-year-old driving a stolen Kia shot and killed two people last week while he was awaiting trial for another stolen motor vehicle case. He is the 27th person accused of shooting, killing, or trying to shoot or kill someone in Chicago this year while awaiting trial for a felony. The cases involve at least 43 victims, 15 of whom died. Uh, This 16-year-old has been facing the felony stolen motor vehicle charge since uh, March 10th. Boy, I mean, they can move Donald Trump to trial in uh, six months, and they can't move this kid. 
and a stolen motor vehicle charge to a trial and adjudication in eight. 27th person accused of shooting, killing, or trying to shoot or kill someone in Chicago while awaiting trial for an unrelated felony. And so there again, if you don't have a criminal justice system that can stop this, then forget all of the big hopes you have for a criminal justice system to do all sorts of other things. It's also not going to do. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636, type in DA. Then a quick comment. Do you think things are going to get better when Kim Fox leaves office? No, because of the system. It's, it's Now it's beyond a personnel problem. It's a system problem. And so what did we uh, feature in 2023? The implementation of the Pritzker Purge Law. So it's going to get better? No, it's going to get worse. You're going to have more stories like this. Man released on fourth day of cashless bail, carjacked and robbed two men at gunpoint weeks later. Yeah, of course. You're going to have more stories of people that were released who shouldn't have been. People that were uh, like these, all these people that are uh, out on electronic monitoring or just out and commit additional felonies, crimes that could have prevented, uh, victimization that could have been prevented. It's just it's not going to change because now you've made it a feature of the system rather than a bug. Allowing criminals, people people accused of serious crimes that pose a threat to public safety, um, allowing them to be released uh, on their own recognizance or even electronic monitoring, and we know the problems with electronic monitoring in Cook County. Yeah, they get out five days in and 48 hours to go do whatever you want. well, I mean, that's the Safety Act. But but even before the Safety Act is my point, we knew the problems just in terms of the administration of it. You know, the general incompetence that afflicts Cook County government, all Cook County government, all state government. Um, so that was before. And now you say, well, that was a bug in the system before. Now we made it a feature by just eliminating uh, the, the retention of so many criminals under the color of law. So expect 2024 to be a most violent year, too. I mean, look who is in charge of the system that they created. And you expect anything to be different, which is, of course, why Illinois continues to be one, two in the nation in per capita out migration. Why would that change? I mean, if you you know this as well as I do, if. If you talk to people who are still there, they will in almost universally talk about what their plan to get out is, even if they can't do it tomorrow or in 2024. They got a plan. Yeah. Buying land in states they want to live in now and then sitting on it. And then when they sell their house, they're going to build. But now with selective enrollment going away, I mean, we have five years. We're, We're on the clock. They're going to come up with a plan to dissolve it this summer. That's when they're going to release it, according to uh, Pedro Martinez, our CEO of CPS. That's going to drive a lot of people out, too. Yeah, so we know who's leaving mm-hmm. and uh, who they don't care about, whether you stay or go. And we know who's coming, and they don't care about when you get here, despite all of their lofty rhetoric to the contrary. And, again, I- I'll tell you, boy, um, you know, these um, – Democrat Paul's running around wanting to uh, charge Governors Abbott and DeSantis with kidnapping and human trafficking mm-hmm. because they're vo- they're providing transportation to people who voluntarily 
say they would like to go to New York or Chicago or wherever. Um, what about uh, if you want to do that, if you want to criminalize public policy decisions in that way, consequences of them, you want to attempt to do that. Uh, I don't think if uh, if if uh, Abbott and DeSantis were private citizens and they paid for the buses, that would you you could never convict them in a court of law for human trafficking no. and kidnapping. So, uh, but that's okay. So you but but you want to criminalize uh, public policy decisions? Okay. Well then, uh, how about charging Brandon Johnson and the staffers at that uh, Pilsen Migrant Center with negligent homicide and the death of that five-year-old because they set up a uh, a, a camp that is unsanitary and where they know or should have known disease would spread, endangering a population of 2,300 people, half of whom are children. How about that? And here's some people who are living there that were around the five-year-old boy who died. At the Halstead Migrant Shelter in Pilsen, one mother who asked not to be shown said her three children had not been seen by a doctor and that the food is so bad they come across the street to buy it from vendors. Another man who asked not to appear on camera out of fear he'd be kicked out of the shelter told me his family is staying in the same large room where the five-year-old boy who died had been living. He told me many people around him are sick, including children. Medical volunteers have raised concerns about being denied access to the shelters. And you mentioned yesterday, has the alderman or the mayor gone into these shelters to visit? Are you ready for this? That You have to put in a request, even as an alderman, and they have to give, it's a 48-hour process, a 48-hour advance notice requirement for any alder person waiting to inspect the shelter site. Well, I don't care about the elder humans. I care about the mayor. It's his deal. Right. So Walk why, in there. Why is Go he in there? there. Um, also, this reported by the NPR Times. He doesn't want to two, get sick. Two-year-old girl had a fever. They considered calling an ambulance, but were dissuaded by staff who said they would have to pay for it, according to the parents. Well, is that part of being a welcoming city? Is that, was, is that part of the promise and the guarantees that are made rhetorically by these press release politicians? And I love what Governor Abbott did. He signed that bill allowing local police to arrest migrants who come into the country illegally and gives power to the judges to order them to leave the U.S. But, of course, uh, that's yeah. being, you know, that's being challenged by the ACLU. ACLU. By the ACLU. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, he, here's the system that we have, the chaos that's been created. I mean, and, and, and again, people responding to incentives. Never once have I blamed uh, the migrants for trying to get to this country. The, we're not demonizing uh, people who are coming to this country for a better life. We're demonizing people who come to this country to do harm to this country because there's a lot of that too. Um, and we are demonizing politicians who deserve to be demonized because they're doing things that are evil. And they're doing things dishonestly that are evil. Mm-hmm. I'm so compassionate. I care so much. I'm so empathetic. I'm for uplifting people of of all races and religions. Uh, the, you know the uh, the huddled masses. No, you're not. You're a predator. You're preying on them with false promises. You're a huckster, and your hucksterism has lethal consequences. Both people who've died at the border and people who are dying in your migrant camps in urban centers. And just so you know, I, this is an ancillary issue, but I think people should know because I talked to the spokesperson for the Cook County Medical Examiner's Office, and I'm waiting for more details today. She said that 
The five-year-old Venezuelan boy, Jean Carlos Martinez, did not die from infectious disease. And she said yeah. that, that... Yeah, that's but, been reported, right. I know, but that there's no outbreaks at the shelter right now, which is completely different from what the people who are living there say. But we'll find out, um, you know, the exact cause of death soon. Listen to this. This is this is a new one on this whole border security immigration policy issue. What? Staging robberies to get a visa. What? There's a, a United States Citizenship and Immigration Service visa, a U visa, that's given to illegal undocumented immigrants who are helpful to law enforcement when a crime is committed. So what? here's what happened. Somebody set up a business, well, to, uh, to individuals who have now been charged, uh, committed eight armed robberies of mini marts and liquor stores this year. But they were all staged. <sighs> in eight cases, in all eight cases, there was an Ill- illegal immigrant present, either working as a clerk in the store, either working um, you know, present or working as a clerk in the store. Uh, and in seven of the eight cases, the immigrants applied for the U visa. So it turns out that these two guys charged people in this country illegally $10,000 to rob them. Uh, if you pay me $10,000 to rob you, uh, the store will get 1000 to $2,000 to act as the venues, the stage for the yeah. robbery. And then the two guys that get paid the $10,000 to be these phony robberies phony robbers will, will contact lawyers to help the quote-unquote victims apply for their U visas. So the robbers got 500 bucks, and um, the um, Store stores got 1000 to 2000 bucks, and then it's distributed, distributed to the lawyers and so on and so forth. So this whole U visa scam, staging robberies so you can be a witness and a, you know, a good, good person – desiring to be a citizen and this is your pathway to get a uv said to be able to stay legally i mean it's sinister but i give them an a plus for ingenuity wow they respond to the incentives that we present yep and the uh the border security we don't provide mike's outside hey good morning dan amy i'm just wondering why they can't go and dip into uh maybe uh tom dart's budget for some of the money that he shouldn't be using on deputies that he keeps uh, when the jails are empty, you know, use, use his funding, but instead they're going to pay, you know, former radio hosts, uh, uh, you know, six figures to come in and do who God knows what. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand what, what's going on over there. Uh, He's in charge of the card. Uh huh. Going very well. Yeah. Uh, what's going on in the Cook County Sheriff's Office? I don't know. I think they've got a couple of uh, dog pound rescues scheduled for the spring so you can get some good press and you can pretend like you have a Cook County Sheriff's Office. I mean, again, you know, the rank and file sheriff, I get it, and do what they can do under the leadership within the system. But the system is completely corrupt. The incentives are all perverse, and there is not any particular earnestness when it comes to protecting the law abiding it's a, it's a decision that the decisions that come from the top tony 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 kim fox the city hall fifth floor it's nothing new here robert bloomingdale hey guys oh it's disgusting what they have to do well 
the state needs to get incentives for businesses to come to the state of Illinois, people, citizens to come to the state of Illinois, address the immigration problem that's in the Chicago area, and the governor needs to stop being delusional. That's my opinion. Yeah, thanks for the call, Robert. Unfortunately, none of those things are going to happen. And by the way, the incentives, what would the incentives look like to come here? I mean, you know, you're going to have to give uh, everybody a uh, half a billion dollars in incentives to put up a EV plant in Mantino. I mean, EV battery plant. And that's only if you get Chinese communist backing as your partner. Right. I mean, the, 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 the story I heard at the at the uh, top of the hour, Mike Scott's newscast, LaShawn Ford talking about this. Uh, the, at least he recognizes there is this excess from Illinois. The others are just telling you not to believe your lying eyes. But talking about, you know, we need to look at what our other states around us are doing and why we're losing population and capital and business formation and expansion to other states. And yeah, I mean, I that's great. I'm glad LaShawn is, is slowly waking up. Yeah, I mean, it took it took a decade. You so know? you said eighty four thousand people left last year alone. So are we filling those seats with illegals? I mean, I, well, um, to take a look at the city of Chicago and whatever twenty five thousand is that the number and more are coming. Oh, more that, are coming. Did you see uh, Eagle Pass yesterday? Holy shnikes! They, there's thirty thousand people that live in that town, and the past two days they've had close to twenty thousand people enter. Yeah, looked like a bad TSA line at the Denver airport. I mean, they were wrapped around that gate, and oh my god! Word gets around. Word gets around for people who want to come in, and word gets around for people like Illinois residents who want to leave and go somewhere else. Word of mouth, powerful force. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, we have bigger cases than the uh, contempt of Congress charge that Hunter Biden should be facing, but we're dealing with the same crew, so it's just a nice reminder of who's, who exactly this crew is. Take a listen to this compilation of uh, leading lights of the left when the issue was contempt of Congress charges against Steve Bannon or Peter Navarro for failing to comply with a subpoena from the J6 Star Chamber. In order, you're, you'll hear from Pelosi, Raskin, okay. Schiff, J6 Chairman Benny Thompson, Liz Cheney, Dan Goldman, and we'll close with our very own Adam Kinzinger. Oh. Do you think people who refuse to comply with congressional subpoenas should be prosecuted by the Justice Department and at the end of the day go to jail? Yes. If you act deliberately with sneering, cavalier contempt for the American people and their representatives, we will hold you in contempt. In America, when you are subpoenaed to testify in court or in Congress, you show up, period. That if we fail to hold C. Bannon accountable, that he will be the exception. He will become the rule. Either we are all equal before the law or none of us is. This is the essence of our democracy. Either we're all in this together, either the rule of law applies mm. to everyone equally, um, or we lose out on a, a fundamental aspect of our democracy that 
The rule of law applies to everyone, and no one is above that law. Mr. Bannon stands alone in his complete defiance of our subpoena. That's not acceptable. No one in this country, no matter how wealthy or how powerful, is above the law. And if he refuses uh, the subpoena, like we expect him to continue to do, uh, then we're left with no other choice than to ask the Justice Department, lock him up. The plain fact here is that Mr. Bannon has no legal right to ignore the committee's lawful subpoena. If Steve Bannon is just going to flout his nose at a congressional subpoena and say that it doesn't apply to me, then he needs to be charged and he needs to be put in jail. Mr. Bannon's willful disregard for the select committee's subpoena demonstrates his utter contempt for the American people's vision that defies the rule of law and rejects the will of the American people. We're serious about this. And anybody that is either being subpoenaed now or will be in the future, uh, think twice before you reject a lawful order from Congress. Hmm. Have we heard from any of these uh, luminaries on the uh, Hunter Biden matter since he uh, chose not to comply with the House Judiciary Committee subpoena, House Oversight Committee subpoena? It's just strange because every time something happens that makes the Bidens look bad, something catastrophic or happens to president trump timing is everything so now this takes what you know what happened in colorado yesterday he's getting kicked off the ballot that trumps and uh, draws everyone's attention away from hunter biden well that's the uh, issue is the rule of law constitutional and statutory and um uh for all those people who want to save our democracy by destroying confidence in the rule of law. I don't know how those two things can live together. For more on the topic, we're pleased to be joined by constitutional lawyer Ed Martin, who is also a J6 attorney. We'll talk to him about that. And a uh, board member of Patriot Freedom Project. Ed Martin, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Uh, great to be with both of you, Dan and Amy. Thank you for the chance to talk. You're you're right on. I like the compilation a lot. I think it's uh, I, I, it helpful in the sense that it shows how hypocritical they are. Uh, for those of us that are close observers of politics, hypocrisy is not a distinguishing characteristic uh, in a elected officials. Uh, so I don't know. You know, it, it kind of sh- shake your head and then you move on to realizing the double standard. So it's troubling. But thank well, you for the chance to talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you have to drive it home, I think, that um, law enforcement is based on your political beliefs and nothing else and based on your political beliefs, uh, depending on who's in charge and nothing else. And that's not the rule of law. And if you don't have the rule of law, then you don't have a free society, as you well know. So, I mean, these things can just be, oh, all politicians are hypocrites. Well, um, when somebody, you know, is engaged in this sort of lawfare, some people have to comply with congressional subpoenas and some people don't. Some people have to uh, comply with uh, the Foreign Agent Registration Act and some people don't. And it's just about who's in charge uh, as it pertains to who is forced to comply that that's a big problem, and I think um, unfortunately we're a little cavalier about that. Even some of us yeah. conservatives. Yeah, no, I agree, Dan. You know I, what I think is uh, stunning about what's happening now is just what you said, um, and and that the lawyers and the judges are complicit in this. It's it's one thing for politicians to make arguments, to say things to the cameras or to the microphones. It's another thing when the courts continually actually use their power. You know, the Colorado decision, uh, there's nobody serious and that thinks that that was uh, 
well done. It was a pure uh, political play by the judges, like up in New York, the judge that's, uh, you know, got the Trump case on this valuation. It's very and, and we, we used to have a system. I, I would tell people the crown jewel of America is our Constitution and the rule of law and then the values that we have to honor them. And we're watching this thing just be gutted by pure power and more, more importantly, brazen. They're not even hiding it. They're just saying, we don't care what you think. We're going to do this to Bannon, but not to Biden. We're going to do this to Trump, but not to President Biden. One after another. And it's, uh, it's, as you point out, it's bad enough in the politics of today. It's bad, and it's bad policy. But it, it's, it's hard to see America functioning as a republic if we lose that system. Well, right. Well, right. Because you're losing the checks and balances. You don't have a, yeah, a, a you don't choice. have a judiciary that that acts as a balance as a check. Right. Well, who do you think? I mean, do you think the Biden administration put these four judges? I mean, it was a four to three decision, three Democrats rejecting it. Um, do you think that's uh, at play here? No, 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 no. I think. I, well, yes. I mean, in the sense. But I think the four judges, Colorado has been for about 15 years, uh, the subject of a ton of focus of the kinds of outside money like uh, Soros and others have done. They, they transformed the uh, legislature there by elections. They did initiative petitions and, and referendums to, to go first on marijuana. I mean, they've been an experiment in how to transform that. So, And they're elected, I think, or if they're not, they're appointed by the, the uh, governor with, uh, with approval of, the, of a commission. Uh, but they're not, that's not just not serious. I mean, it's a question whether you, and, and, and actually in the, in the ruling they say, where Trump says, uh, I want you to peacefully go up to the Capitol, they actually say, we're not convinced that he meant it. Uh, they can read his mind. And, and, and so the evidence is there, the words are there. But guys, if I can transition, because I know it's a short, a short segment's always, I represent these January 6th folks. And on this 1512 charge that's now up to the Supreme Court, we have a systematic use of a law that was created in a vague way and used against we the people. And the guy named Andrew Weissman, who was involved in this, he was on the Mueller team. And on the Mueller team, he said, use 1512 against Trump. And then after, after uh, it didn't work there, actually A.G. Barr said no, they've used this 1512. It was designed for evidence and witness tampering, and it's being used to do a 20-year felony on people who were at the Capitol when Mike Pence uh, 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 gaveled out that proceeding. It's never been done. It's a scandal. And otherwise, you go, you go misdemeanor, 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 you know, for vandaliz- vandalizing or trespass. And then this, this uh, 20-year felony, it's got hundreds of people in jail, and it's aimed at Trump. That's what he's charged with. So, again, where are the lawyers and judges who should say, no, 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 you can't go that far you, that's not our system. That's not what what happened here. It's a real threat to our republic. Well, this fifteen twelve C two that we we've, we've yep. talked about. Um, so this pertains to you know interrupting an official proceeding, but it it had it had nothing like uh, the uh, uh, federal government in mind. Uh, it was part of the Sarbanes Oxley Sarbanes Oxley Act of twenty o two. And it was related to corporate malfeasance in situations like Enron. And so now this this application, and we know, too, from the history that you bring up Weissman, the Mueller investigation, they were trying to uh, insinuate that as a way to get Trump during the Mueller investigation. That argument was rejected by uh, Barr, but it it wasn't even really made by Mueller in his final report. But you, right. you could see you could see it was a foot. And so now it's being applied. And so this this has the potential to remove some of the J6 related charges against Trump, but also to reduce the sentences or 
uh, exonerate a, a whole bunch of regular Americans who've been charged under this, right? Well, that's right. And and, and but but let me be clear: Kinzinger and and Cheney, they use the framing of a fifteen twelve felony to say, "Oh, look at how these were violent felons. These people are facing twenty years." These and and the whole thing, nineteen million dollars that Kinzinger and Cheney spent on that select committee to brainwash the American people, and then they destroyed the evidence that they gathered. And my point here is that you're exactly right. If the Supreme Court looks at it and says, wait a second, that wasn't designed for uh, 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 limiting advocacy, even if it turns into a riot. That's not what it was designed for. Stop that. Also, by the way, a second provision is about corrupt. It says you're supposed to corruptly do this, and that means get a personal benefit. None of these people at J6 were getting a personal benefit out of this. So if they strike it down, we have a chance that many will go free. But we also have a bunch that have to take plea deals because they were scared of it, some of my clients. And they're going to have a harder time unraveling that. But at least we're going to get exposure on how this lawfare is being used against we the people. And hopefully we'll see real commitment to going after these people that did it. And, you know, I want to know who ordered the 1512. Was it Merrick Garland or the White House? And I want to know who had this design to do this. What's your um, prognosis? What's your uh, expectation of what the Supreme Court will do? Well, first of all, they won't argue this until April, or, or, or early April or late March. So then they'll brief it between now and then. I, I think that they will reverse it. I think they'll strike it down. They'll probably limit it. won't be dramatic. They'll say, apply it incorrectly, go back and figure it out, or Congress should clarify it. I will say this, guys. I don't hear enough people saying it. There's no way that Donald Trump has a trial on the D.C. issues before the election at this point. This will take all the The decision won't come down until the third week of June, and, and they won't go to try to – they won't be able to try him before – uh, the fall election. So that gets us through the election, although Lord knows what they'll do between now and then on this other stuff, as we're seeing in Colorado. Well, that's an interesting point, because Molly Hemingway had a good piece in The Federalist about how the courts are trying to expedite these trials best they can. I know Chutkin had to issue a stay um, on the yeah. G6 charges because of this 15C12 uh, case that the Supreme Court's taken up. But, I mean, she documents how uh, these D.C. Circuit Court judges are... Uh, you know, reducing the normal time that is granted in a federal proceeding of uh, yeah. of any sort, much less complicated cases that involve unprecedented constitutional issues like this one, and they're really trying to to jam it home. And you, we've seen what Jack Smith has done in terms of trying to get expedited appeals and arguments that Trump's making. Uh, but you still think that the the Trump yeah, yeah, will be able to push I mean, it no, off? They're trying. They're trying to do everything they can, but the Supreme Court won't be pushed around. So the decision comes down in late June, and then you just have to actually then restart a whole bunch of motions, a whole bunch of. And once you get within 60 days of the election, if they try to do a trial, Trump will go to the Supreme Court and say, you can't have this happen. And they'll back off. I mean, they're hemmed in at this point. By the way, one quick side note. Uh, for those of us that wanted to defend J6ers, we couldn't get the Department of Justice to give us the Brady material and access to stuff in any timely manner. It was too complicated. It was too hard. And so these guys have been rotting in jail, again, because they said, oh, look, it's a felony. You can't let them go home on misdemeanors, which you would, because of this felony. And they're held like in Gitmo. And, and we can't get any of the evidence. And in this case, they're... Smith is saying, oh, Trump doesn't need all the evidence. I mean, he's a tough luck. we got to get to this. I mean, again, the double standard is profound, but it's very disturbing that our federal court system, our justice system, is having this happen. And that there's not a wholesale bloodletting by lawyers saying, wait a second, we don't want this system or Congress. And the reason why is it's all about get Trump. 
Well, how are what your clients? Oh, how are your clients doing? I mean, handling this feeling like political prisoners. Well, it's a terrible situation. And at Christmas, you know, we we spend a lot of our time at the Patriot Freedom Project uh, trying to help the families because a lot of these are working class folks. Uh, the very sort of true story. Most of the people stuck in jail are working class because if you got, got enough money, you can sort of force your way out a lot of times with the right lawyers. I hate to say that, but there's a little bit of that going on. And so we're worried about, oh, no, they're devastated. Look, these people are devastated. This is not um, It's because also in jail, you're being told you are by the system, you're an insurrectionist. You're really evil. And these folks, again, I got one guy that got out of jail on Friday after almost two and a half, three years. And he, nothing violent in his background, no violent allegations, nothing except three misdemeanors and this 1512. And he goes two and a half years. And when he gets out, people tell him you're an insurrectionist. It's a terrible kind of torture that's been done intentionally by Cheney, Kinzinger, all these people to fulfill their narrative, to make them feel like they're on the side of the heroic, when in fact they're on the side of the liars, and and more importantly, they're on the side of truly evil conduct that hurts people. It's terrible. Um, what, what about the issue of exculpatory evidence and the federal government withholding it in some of these cases, like the the video that ultimately yeah. um, uh, got uh, the uh, the uh, the QAnon shaman's sentence reduced? Yeah. Well, thank you for asking, Dan, because people don't really understand this. If you are a J6 lawyer or a defendant, you had access to the you have access to the Department of Justice's uh, video database. It's incomplete. It's poorly done, and, and it's under a protective order that makes it feel like you're dealing with uh, with Osama bin Laden because, again, of this idea that they were able to persuade the public it's an insurrection. So when you want to go look at the video, it's very cumbersome. It's very difficult. So that's one problem. And, you know, lots of people are saying, hey, wait a second, I want to know the video for the whole period before I'm charged. And they and the, they and the courts say, no, 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 you're only limited to this about your conduct. Here, here's where you are. If you're going to dispute where you are, then you can dispute it, but not, you know, how you got there. And, and it's really a, a, a crazy thing. But now that the J6 video has been uh, starting to be released by the Republicans, more people are able to see it. And now you're really saying, hey, wait a second. I should have had access to the, it's called Brady material, because I can say, look, I was asked in. I, the, the, the security guard or the cops said, come in and open the door for me. Like, you can't call it trespass when I was welcomed by the authority, right? So it's, it's a mess. But again, it's a mess. And no one, instead of Liz Cheney and Kinzinger holding forth and saying how terrible it is, there ought to be people. I mean, I sound like an old-fashioned ACLU lawyer, and I'm a conservative. There ought to be people <laughs> protesting the fact that the system is is really uh, mistreating we the people. It's way imbalanced, and that's going ongoing. It's not going to change. Look, they've arrested almost a thousand people, more than a thousand now. And the guy already said that the prosecutor in D.C. he's going to arrest a thousand more on J six right up until the election day. In other words, we're going to use our power to push a narrative, and we hear every day from people arrested and, and they need help and, and a Patriot Freedom Project. So. It's um, there's a lot going on, guys. Ed Martin, January 6th attorney, Patriot Freedom Project board member uh, as well. Ed, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Merry Christmas. God bless you. You, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey dot pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile.
Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, Kentucky Congressman Tom Massey, who was with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on the campaign trail in Iowa. And uh, the topic turned to COVID, where I think the governor still thinks he can make his bones in Iowa against the rest of the field, including Trump. And uh, this was their conversation, first Massey, then DeSantis. The, the day before they started 15 days to slow the spread, I could see this coming down. And I tweeted, I said, I fear that the infringements of our liberties in the next year are going to be greater than FDR's internment of Japanese, of Japanese Americans in camps. Now, I did that to kind of upset the Democrats and remind them that, like, the tyranny came from their president, right? So they got mad at that, but unfortunately what I said was true. Like, all of our, and there still are Republicans. There's still presidential candidates who don't get this. They do not. There's one presidential candidate who was responsible for perpetuating some of this tyranny. Okay? And I was, I was taking the brunt of that. And then there's some candidates, we don't know where they were when COVID happened, right? I think they were trying to sell drugs and, uh, you know, and more data to the government on, on people. Okay. And, um, and then there are just people who went along to get along. Okay. All of those people constitutionally are disqualified for service. And it, the governor put his, his finger on it. The greatest threat to liberty that's happened in, in my adult lifetime was during COVID, and this is the only guy who was fighting when it could have cost him his position in government. And so not only that, but then looking forward, we need a reckoning for what happened in this country. We need to hold these agencies accountable, Fauci, everything. Because right now, they would do the same thing all over again. Yep. They'd run the same playbook. And we need to make sure that this will never happen in our country ever again. I'm the only one running who will do that. I'm the only one that even talks about doing that. Uh, the rest want nothing to do with it. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by our old friend, Dr. Joe Latipo, Surgeon General for the great state of Florida, author of the book Transcend Fear, a blueprint for mindful leadership in public health. Dr. Latipo, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Hey, it's always a pleasure. So, um, you know, I know you're not on the political side, you're on the public health side, but 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 there's a reckoning on the public health side, I would argue, and get your reaction to that as well. And and I wonder uh, what sort of reckoning on the science uh, has occurred in your estimation. I mean, as DeSantis said there, you know, there is a, a reckoning that's required so the same people or different people don't do the same things that were done over the last three years in particular. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm definitely very, you know, very proud of Governor DeSantis for all he's done with COVID and the leadership he's shown, especially early on when he was really out in front doing it basically alone in terms of in terms of elected officials. And absolutely, my gosh, COVID, more and more people are becoming aware of stuff that isn't adding up when you know, the CDC is saying everyone's got to get this. But wait a minute, Europe said only older people need it. And where are the data that is it really true that the data were based on mice for the you know, so more is coming out there but i would say that i mean it's only the it's only the very surface of the of the problems of the 
misrepresentation of data. We actually see the same thing in climate change where people are being fed certain points or certain points of information, but it actually doesn't at all line up with the data. What, what's the most dangerous um, health data point or that data point? What's the most dangerous health prescription that's being advocated in the on the the topic of COVID that persists, even though the science and data have essentially proven that it is not the case? <laughs> yeah, it would be their favorite talking point, which is safe and effective. On the safety side, there's a tremendous amount of data that, and we've you know we've outlined some of these points. We've discussed a few of them too. There's a tremendous amount of data that just completely undercuts the, the, the case that they're, they're safe. And on the effective side, you know, there are multiple studies that show now from multiple countries that after three, four, five, six months, people who receive the vaccines are eventually more likely to contract COVID. There's no data for their use from clinical trials in terms of effectiveness at this point in the pandemic. The whole thing is just unsubstantiated, but they're still saying it. Was what about it effect- these new boosters? Oh, I'm sorry, the mic, mic wasn't on. What about the new boosters that they're pushing right now? And now they're pushing for different w- age groups, like 12 plus, you take this one. Uh, yeah. if you're, what, what is this gobbledygook? Yeah, I wish they would have, I wish they would have forced the pharmaceutical companies who made billions and billions and billions of dollars to actually do clinical trials. But they didn't. So no one, no one has any idea whether they are actually beneficial. And the studies that are done after they've been approved are these studies that are subject to a lot of biases because there's such big differences, as you can imagine, between people who run out and get the booster and people who say, no, thank you. So it's hard to compare outcomes in these people. So there's 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 no data. I, I mean, it's crazy to sound to say that when you've got the head of the CDC so confidently encouraging Americans to go get this and encouraging doctors to tell their patients to get this, but there's no data. And it would be nice to have some data. Is it is it the case, um, in your uh, medical opinion, that what, what ended COVID was actually the Omicron variant? In other words, what happened was what a lot of infectious disease experts predicted would happen, expected would happen, what usually happens, which is as the as the disease mutated, it got more contagious but less lethal uh, to the point of not being life-threatening for most people. I think that definitely contributed. And the other piece is just fatigue. I think people, the whole implementation of how the pandemic ran was not sustainable all of this you know stay at home wear a mask stay away from other people you know remote learning remote meetings none of that stuff was sustainable and the fatigue war in and omicron i think just pushed it over the edge i think even if omicron hadn't come i think we we probably would be in a relatively similar place because people just couldn't continue all of those efforts that were pushed and mandated often during the pandemic. And now what do you know about this new, well, they're calling it the white lung pneumonia out of China and scaring moms saying, look at all these kids that are hospitalized and be careful. Yeah. So far, I mean, how can you trust China for information? Of course not, unless, unless, you know, you're a liberal and you believe that you just believe what you want to believe, I guess. 
and and that's nothing against liberals, I should say, but just just so happens that we're seeing some of that happen out there. But so far, according to China, it's mycoplasma or other viruses, nothing novel. But the Lord, I mean, who knows, really? They're just not a dependable partner. We just don't know. The WHO, CDC has been involved also. But we don't know. It doesn't seem that people are getting severely ill in terms of children. If it is mycoplasma, it's often called walking pneumonia because people can have it and they'll never even go to a doctor and eventually it'll clear up. It just generally doesn't get people very ill. So it doesn't seem to be anything. But honestly, Wuhan is not the only lab out there that's tinkering with gain-of-function type research. So who knows what's, what's coming and what could come out of China. Do, do we have any um, review of the vaccine injured? I mean, you, you know, um, uh, this uh, hashtag died suddenly um, uh, campaign, if you will, documentation of people who died suddenly. Some maybe it was related to the vaccine and myocarditis. Some maybe not. Do we do we have any review of this from the uh, the data that supposedly that I know it's voluntarily uh, uh, provided, but the data the, the CDC is supposed to keep and and all these cases of some profile, particularly with young athletes that died suddenly and, and immediately the question goes to vaccines. Do, do we have any handle on the vaccine injured in any material way? Not 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 in a good way. I mean, there's there's some research. There's actually a study that was published on NCAA athletes looking at trends in cardiac death. And fortunately, they did not find an increase. What they didn't they what they didn't report was the number of times people had a cardiac arrest and were resuscitated. And we've certainly seen examples, very public examples of that uh, recently during the pandemic. But there's there's not a good review. And you're absolutely right. There's actually excess mortality that's in, you know, widespread throughout our country, other countries also. Some people are concerned that it's related to the COVID-19 vaccines, the mRNA shots. I actually am absolutely completely believe that it is at least partially responsible because the the effects of the vaccines on different systems of the body are you know they're pretty wide and unfortunately they are they are negative. What what is your general view on the mRNAs and you know since it was a you know, new technology as it were and so on and so forth um, I, I mean do do you have a general perspective on them going forward? I think that the you know there's a lot of technology this mrna stuff there's rna stuff rna interfering protons uh, pardon me proteins that's another drug class that we're going to be hearing more about and there are even other types of drugs that interfere with or somehow interact with our rna or dna that we will be hearing about and you know these things represent potentially amazing advancements particularly for people who are suffering from diseases that hitherto were not treatable. But we have to exercise caution because we've there's already research now showing DNA, and it's confirmed, like DNA in the mRNA vaccines. And there's concern by some scientists that that could lead to integration with the human genome. And that's just one potential problem. There are other problems that, you know, if we had more time, I would share with you. And we just need to be responsible around it. We need to respect the human genome. We need to know that there are things that we understand and things we don't understand. And that 
that humility isn't present right now in the search for these new technologies, and that could be a, a huge problem for mankind. So would you say like the uh, the advertising campaign that CDC is doing right now featuring Taylor Swift's boyfriend and others – uh, that everybody should get jabbed and get, do a two-for-one, get your flu shot and your COVID shot at the same time without any caveats that you're describing. Is, is that is that a reckless public relations campaign? <laughs> I think it's worse than reckless. I actually, I think it's worse than reckless. And it's, you know, and you know, they're going to reap what they sow. I mean, they, this is, I, this story gets worse and worse and, um, and it's not over. Well, what about it's worse, RSV? It's, well, wait, it's, oh. it's worse than reckless. What do you mean by that? I think that it is. I think that it is. It, it is. It is very irresponsible for scientists who have some understanding of, you know, of the the data that have shown problems with these vaccines, including negative effectiveness, where people eventually are more likely to contract COVID nineteen, which is not normal. I mean, that is abnormal. Um, I think it's incre- incredibly irresponsible and. It undermines human health. It undermines, you know, human autonomy, human sovereignty. And frankly, there some of these some of this work that's being done in terms of uh, actually hasn't been done in terms of the safety work is potentially undermining the human genome. And what about this RSV? I mean, RSV has been around for forever. And now they're acting like, oh, we have a cure. Just get this vaccination. And they're even promoting on television pregnant moms if you really care about your unborn child you should get an rsv shot for the child i mean it's tough rsv definitely causes a lot of illness i've taken care of i I do i take care of adults but really it's a pediatric primarily a pediatric illness and i've i've seen kids who in the emergency department taking care of them during my uh, training as a medical student when I was doing some pediatrics. And so it's it's a serious condition. You know how it is. If you're a parent, your kid gets sick, kid's small, or your kid's big, like, you know, it's a scary experience. So I'm, I'm definitely empathetic to the empathetic to the need for these for these uh, for these therapies. But the problem is that the CDC and the FDA, they're just they're, they're just irresponsible when it comes to vaccines. With RSV, there was actually a signal in the clinical trials for increased premature births, which was seen in another RSV that was similarly formulated. And it was essentially swept under the rug. Uh, you know, Dr. Paul Offit, who, you know, switches sides depending on the day of the week it is, he actually voted against approval for the, uh, on, the, um, on the safety side for this RSV vaccine. So, and it's because he, he can see the writing on the wall that people are losing confidence in in the in the in the stringency of the reviews so you know i don't blame people who who don't want to take it because you know, the cdc they've just not been good actors you can't be confident in their judgment because all this crazy loony covid19 stuff that they've been doing and uh these uh national leaders in public health have made decisions that have worsened the nation's public health. Ironically, this story out of Gallup this week, key physical health metrics have notably worsened since before COVID-19 pandemic, including obesity, diabetes, and eating habits. The uh, percent of U.S. adults who Gallup classifies as obese is nearly 40%. Uh, A new high, nearly 14% of respondents, they've been diagnosed by a medical professional with diabetes. That's up. A percentage point since 2019. So 
So at the end of the day, now you have more people exposed and more vulnerable to something like a COVID-19 virus that, of course, we knew was more harmful to those with comorbidities like obesity than otherwise. Yeah, totally, totally. It's uh, it's they took a wrecking ball to to uh, the health of people in our country. And uh, and I, I you know, we we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll be talking again because I there my my belief is that safety data on these vaccines in terms of long-term effects is going to get worse. And I think it will eventually be harder and harder for my colleagues, many of my colleagues who are still in denial and believe these things are, are great or at least not harmful. Um, they're, they're just much worse than that. These are, these are very, very, very bad vaccine products that probably should never have been used in human beings. We should have we should have had higher standards and found, um, you know, found alternative alternative approaches to helping people manage COVID nineteen. Doctor Joseph Joseph Latipo, he is the Surgeon General for the State of Florida. He's also the author of Transcend Fear: A Blueprint for Mindful Leadership in Public Health. Doctor Latipo, thanks as always. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Thank you, and he joined us on our Turnkey Pro Answer Line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. New York State is doing it, so... You can expect that uh, the Illinois General Assembly will take it up when they reconvene next year. The Rest Stop Restaurant Act. Oh, please do tell. What is this? The Rest Stop Restaurant Act will uh, mandate that restaurants at rest stops or think, you know, oases in Chicagoland, expressway oases, rest stops around the state will require all the restaurants at these uh, rest stops to be open seven days a week. But one of the restaurants the only restaurant that's impacted is Chick-fil-A because yeah, they're closed, it's closed on, on Sundays. Right. And it always has been, uh, even as Chick-fil-A has fallen in my estimation, because, you know, as usual, the offspring is uh, not as um, talented and uh, courageous as the founder. So as a transition from Pruitt Cathy to Dan Cathy, Chick-fil-A started doing things like giving up on the on uh, uh, charitable contributions to organizations that had any sort of perceived American, much less conservative, bent for fear of being targeted by the left. Of course, that targeting comes anyway, but I digress. Well, remember when they couldn't come here because Rahm Emanuel said they didn't share Chicago's values? Yeah, exactly. And now they're everywhere in Chicago. Uh, and uh, here's um, the uh, state legislator responsible for this uh, enlightened measure, Tony Simone, explaining. Sunday, Christmas Eve, thousands of New Yorkers are traveling to their families to find and find closed restaurants at rest areas across the state. Which isn't an issue for most restaurants, but does single out one, Chick-fil-A. You know, we get hungry when we're traveling. Oh, you may not like our brother-in-law's or sister-in-law's cooking and get a snack <laughs> on Christmas Eve. To find one of our restaurants closed in three ways, just not in the public good. Oh my it's not God. in the public interest. The whiner. By the way, um, 
I, you know, access to a restaurant on a and a rest stop is not a constitutional right. And but even uh, even setting that aside, there are other restaurants at these rest stops. What so a, does that guy have a man bun? Uh, Tony Simone. I'm not familiar with him other than uh, this his bubbling up to the surface with this idiocy for a more on this sort of um, imperious legislating from. Are no betters in public office. Pleased to be joined by Steve Moore, economist, author of Govzilla. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, guys. Uh, I was just listening to your conversation. I'm not sure I get it. So the, the law would require that restaurants are open seven days a week? Is that the. Yes, right. Chick fil A is not open yeah. on Sundays. It would require Chick fil A oh, to open on Sundays. I have a new law. I yes. have a new law. They okay. also have to be open 24 hours a day. Because sometimes so, I want to, like, a burger thing. At, well, at there's people who work the third morning. shift who are hungry, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yes. I always demand oh, that they make I mean, French fries at 10 in the morning at McDonald's. I say, oh, no, 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 this is my lunch at 10 a.m. And they comply, but I, I have to pull that. over. You know, I get so angry. Well, that's it. I want breakfast all day. I want <laughs> breakfast all day. I want lunch at 1030. I want, right, all these things should be legislated, obviously. And this is my right as an American citizen. I have a constitutional right. They go to a restaurant at three in the morning and see that it's open. I mean, come on. This is the, mo- the craziest thing I've ever heard. I'm sure this guy, Simone, has never been in business his whole life. I'm sure. Uh, and so, uh, but this is, this is the new modern left that, that you, they treat businesses as, as if they're social welfare agencies. Uh, look, I'm going to say something very controversial. Businesses are in business to make money. Yeah, right. I've heard, we've heard. Really? Yeah. Restaurants. Restaurants are in business to make money. They're public goods. They're public goods. I mean, it's almost like he, he, I think he sort of came, said that in a roundabout way. You know, they have a public responsibility to be open seven days a week. Um, know, by the way, does that mean they have to be open on Christmas Day and on Easter and on Thanksgiving? No. Yeah, well, he's, he could be driving to his brother-in-law, brother-in-law's on Christmas yeah, Eve or Christmas Day, and he right. needs a Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with him on that. I mean, I said, this is my right as an American citizen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, so um, what do you think about this? Uh, speaking of um, business, now this is on the other side, ostensibly, the uh, protectionist impulses of uh, both parties. Uh, yeah. you got to protect uh, American businesses from competition, and it turns out not to be very helpful, those protections. So the story of... Nippon Steel's $14 billion deal to buy U.S. Steel, which is rankling some lawmakers, including uh, Republicans like J.D. Vance. Um, And this is um, uh, U.S. Steel looking to uh, sell after they've got, uh, you know, renewed demand for steel because of all the public infrastructure spend coming out of the administration. And 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 also, Don't interestingly, forget, by the way, you need a lot of steel if you're going to build windmills. And there's no question. And also, <laughs> interestingly, too, they've been able to reduce their overhead since they've been protected. Uh, I know it was supposed to protect jobs when Trump imposed these 25 percent tariffs on foreign steel. Yet uh, they had twenty nine thousand employees in 2018 and they've got less than twenty three thousand today. The yeah. story of U.S. Oh, steel. Yeah. Yep. So there's a couple of elements of this story. Number well, let's. Um, go back a day or two before that announcement came uh, since the last time we talked. The other thing that happened on the trade front, which is really quite depressing, is that the um, Joe Biden has announced that he is not going to pursue a trade, a free trade agreement with with Great Britain. 
because, you know, those great those British workers, they'll work for like two dollars an hour. You know, we can't have them undercutting us on wages. And so uh, it, it's really crazy. This is something free traders like myself have been working on for 10 years. And we, you know, come on, we can't have a free trade agreement with our closest ally, which is also a high wage country. And Biden said, oh, no, the unions won't let me do it. So he squashed that. Um, and then uh, you, now the situation with the steel, like, do I like it when these these steel companies are being up, bought up by foreigners? I don't like it, but it's you know, it's a private company. They, anybody who wants to buy it should buy it. But I think the bigger story here is that the. You know, the, Biden has imposed so many regulations on these business. He's he's put a dent in our in our energy situation. So we're face, facing en- higher energy costs. Uh, all these kinds of things and taxes. And so they load all of these costs on American businesses and then they wonder why they're being sold. You know? Well, but, so, but, but, but U.S. Steel, too. U.S. Steel is living by the government and dying by the government, so to speak. That's true. And, true. And, and, and so this is this is I mean, this is also a story about the folly of industrial policy, which both parties engage in. Well put. And so we, we put all this money into them and then they're back being bought up by the by the uh, the Japanese. You know, there's an old saying, by the way, you know, that you can you can build uh, windmills with steel, but you can't beat build steel with windmills. Yes. And that's what we're trying to do in this country is, you know, we're yes. we're just de- derailing our energy. It's 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 really crazy. They want to get rid of the natural gas, the coal, blah, blah, blah. So I think this is the first um you know, the first domino that's falling here because we're shooting ourselves uh, in the foot under Biden's crazy tax regulatory and anti-energy policy. Now, speaking of Biden, uh, according to CNN, his staffers say that he's getting anxious and frustrated that Americans aren't adopting his new economy, that people aren't embracing this. I know. I don't understand it. (laughs) Do you think he ever goes grocery shopping? (laughs) Yeah. So, Look, first of all, you know, we're five days before Christmas. So I will say this. The economy has gotten better. No doubt about it. Look at the stock market. I mean, it's just it's been a boom market. So that's good. I want people to make money. I don't want people to lose jobs. I don't root against the economy. But I think that what you've got here, Amy, it's a it's a great point. You know, the people in Washington, D.C., where I by the way, what we're not there's no problems here in Washington, D.C. I mean, we're we're living high on the hog here inside the Beltway. We are the swamp and nobody's going to drain this swamp. And yet people outside of Washington, D.C., in Main Street, America, they're not feeling the love because they're the people who've been the victims of the 20 percent increases in prices. And for middle and lower income people, that's caused real hardship. Now, I know no, none of the politicians understand that. Nobody in the White House understands that. So they just sit there and say, gee, why are people complaining? We've done such a great job. No, you haven't. You're making everything more expensive. People are, are having to borrow to pay their bills. People, people's real incomes have fallen by about $2,000 per family. How is that a good performance? If they want to call that Bidenomics, they can have it. Uh, another uh, aspect of this, too, I mean, you were talking about sort of the administrative state, sort of the regulatory burdens, yeah. and how it, uh, it hurts uh, friends and enemies alike, politically speaking. So here, with respect to labor unions... <laughs> The Labor Department recently uh, proposed a 776-page rule to clarify a two-page 
1937 law regulating apprenticeship programs. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can, I can only imagine the clarity that adds. And, of course, these apprenticeship programs, we talk <laughs> about it all the time. You know, don't, you know, if, if you, not everybody's going to go to college, go to an apprenticeship program, get into a trade union. These apprenticeship programs are promoted by the trade unions. They're yeah. often done in, yeah. in conjunction with management and, you know, a joint between management and trade unions. But, but here the problem is uh, they're not uh, compliant with the grand vision for diversity, equity, and inclusion that the administration has. Uh-huh. So, so now there's you know, a requirement of at least 2,000 hours of on-the-job training, even though many can train workers in less time. There has to be accessible and equitable facilities, bathrooms that correspond to gender identity, personal protective yep. equipment, and, and so on. I mean, a wait, wait, 770, on, 775 pages to clarify two-page yeah, law gonna, from a 90 on, years on, ago. On <laughs> uh, so this is really outrageous because I'm a huge fan of apprenticeship programs. We need those. You know, we need people who get training and you can make the case. Why is it that, you know, you, you pay an apprentice, but you, the, the person has to pay to go to college. I mean, wouldn't it be better to do an apprenticeship program and actually get paid to be trained rather than to pay $60,000 to go to, uh, to, to some university like uh, like Harvard, which is undermining our social values in this country. And so the best thing you can have is very vibrant apprenticeship programs. So we, we need more electricians. We need more nurses. We need more people who can do things in this country. Every one of those you know, industries where people actually make things uh, or repair things, those industries, there's huge shortages. And people, yeah. by the way, you know, a plumber, an electrician, uh, you know, a welder. Those people make over a hundred thousand dollars a year after uh, three yeah. years on the job. We had a plumber come to our high school, my kid's high school, and speak. He's making a yeah. million dollars a year. Okay, <laughs> hello. I mean, like, I mean, he built the company it's, up, it's and you know, it wasn't supply and demand, right? You know? uh, so, or he's got yeah, a lot of good city contracts. One of the two. Well, yeah. maybe a little bit well, of that. True. But he had a great truck. He showed them the truck and showed you know the, his business plan. And I don't know. I, I thought it woke people up to the trades. By the way, you guys, well, you, you started this conversation, Dan, by talking about this crazy new law that, that your genius uh, politicians in Springfield want. I don't no, know New York, New York. Just came, it just came out yesterday, these new census uh, data yeah. through, through July of 2023. Uh, I will give you each a dollar if you could tell me the three states that lost the most population in the last year. California, New York, Illinois. <laughs> you got it. And by the way, that's been the case for like 10 years now. It is so sad, and you can't. It, it, it seems like there's nothing that the that these politicians can do to stop this uh, migration out of the state. In fact, everything they're doing is accelerating the acceler- the, the out migration, and it's it's sad to see. I have to say, it's sad to see the great state of Illinois being ruined by politicians. I mean, another I think it was another seventy five thousand people left uh, Illinois in eighty four thousand. Yeah, eighty four thousand. Yeah, yeah, just but another year. California. By the way, how about this? California, if this is amazing, California, if those that trend continues since 2020 through, tw- through July of 2023, if it continues for the rest of the decade, California will lose four or five congressional seats. Well, that would be positive, actually. <laughs> yeah, it sure would. Same, same thing goes for Illinois and New York and New Jersey as well. So keep the, keep the flight going south and southwest um, and southeast. Absolutely. Well, I'm, coming, I'm coming to Chicago on Saturday, and I'm going to stay downtown, see all the wonderful decorations and all the lights and a great restaurant. I mean, it's it's a great, 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 great city. It's just being ruined by really, really, really bad politicians. 
just make sure you bring your personal protective detail with you. It's that bad, huh? Well, well, just keep great. your head on a swivel. Not great. <laughs> I was there last night. Merry got Christmas, scared to death. Guys. So good luck to you. Steve Merry Christmas, Mark. Steve. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Yeah, bye. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. This is the morning show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's morning answer on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. We've got some breaking news coming out of the FBI. Uh, FBI reporting. It has officially adopted the LGBTQIA plus acronym in place of LGBT plus. Oh, my God. I am repeating. Oh, please I'm say repeating. it's slower, Dan. We have to process this. Just that, we'll, this is first blush. You know, we'll, we'll update this story as more information becomes available. But the FBI has officially adopted the LGBTQIA plus acronym in place of LGBT plus. This came uh, after the Bureau Equality, which is one of the nine diversity advisory committees within the FBI, proposed, it. proposed it, and it was approved by FBI executive management. And, and people say, what is Christopher Ray doing? He's doing the work, <laughs> putting in the time, providing the leadership. Now that this acronym has been officially updated you can you'll have lgbtqia plus 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 where's the two spirit maybe i need to be one on one of these committees uh that are unshackled so they can focus their attention on illegally surveilling catholics who go to the latin mass i mean that's is this is a big big development at fbi mm-hmm uh, and, and a somewhat related story. We've got breaking news from Northwestern Northwestern Medicine. Oh. Northwestern Medicine will now allow patients to use the letter X on oh. documents for their gender if they do not want to identify as male or female. Yeah, I got that on my, uh, I am a patient there. And yes, I no. got the email saying that we now have another option. Instead of male, you have still have male, you still have female, but you also have X. As an option. Yes. Um, the... Um, Northwestern Medicine Program Coordinator for the Gender Pathways Program, Becca Seabree, said the ex-gender designation drastically changes the type of care patients get. How's that? Um, hey, Doc, don't mind that penis. I'm actually a woman. Pay no attention to that. It's a big business. It's going to be a $5 billion <laughs> business by 2030, if not before, the way they keep pushing this. Uh, well... Exactly. And so in 2023, um, despite uh, the best efforts of uh, uh, the Riley Gaineses of the world and so forth when it comes to men participating in women's sports, I mean, the Lavender Bund continues on the march, largely unencumbered. That's the reality. And uh, it's all fun and games when it's silliness emanating from the FBI, although it's not really that silly. Gives you an idea of the corporate culture there and maybe where some of these um, extra constitutional slash unconstitutional excesses emanate. But I digress. Uh, more importantly, it's the government 
further breaking down the family. Break down institutions of faith, places of worship, break down the family. These are the two great bulwarks against uh, all-encompassing government power. And so we have stories that are happening. Uh, Yeah, in states like California, where the government is formally antagonistic to parents who don't uh, comport with the gender ideology of the political ruling class, the gender politics of the political ruling class. They will take your kids. But it's happening in Indiana, too. The courts will take your kids. First, uh, just to put a face on these stories. Here's uh, Adam Vina, who's a father in California who was cut out of his son's life when mom decided that he was a girl. Now that I know it's grooming started at the age of two, um, I received a, uh, when he was two, I received a text message, a picture text message from my son's mother of him in a pink dress. Um, I spoke out against that and I thought had everything had stopped. Um, on my son's third birthday is when I, my son told me that his mom bought him a pink dress. And I got down on one knee and I looked him in the eye and said, hey, buddy, you're a boy and boys don't wear dresses. And we left it just as that. Um, a couple days went by. It was I was really, really angry um, with it. So I sent off 46 text messages to her. No threats of violence. Never has there been any threats of violence to her or my son. Um, and in those 46 text messages, she was able to get a temporary restraining order put on me, um, which kept me from my son. Um, fast forward to the court system. Um, the judge um, from Pasadena, California, Judge Harvey Silverman, he ordered a gender assessment to be done on my son. At what age? How old was uh, I think Aiden was between like three and a half, three and a half and four at the time. He was four years old to have a gender assessment done on him. I spoke out against that. Um, in court, um, but they still went along with it. Um, so I requested to sit down, wanted to be personally there, physically there, to find out what questions they were going to ask my son, because in my opinion, um, when it comes to treating somebody for any type of disease, there's always steps um, in place. Um, and in my son's case, it went from A to Z. They never treated it A, B, C, and D. They went, oh, you want to wear dresses, never asking why he wants that, nothing like that. They automatically assumed he wanted to be a girl at, at four years old. Because his mom put him in a dress at what age? He start, She started at two years old. So he's still in diapers. Yeah, pretty much. She's still in diapers. And the judge now just treats him as though he's a girl. Yes, they refer to my son in court as my daughter. Um, they refer to my son as she, her pronouns. Um, I received an email from an anonymous parent from his private school letting me know that uh, basically saying, Adam, we, f- we feel that you need and have the right to know what's going on with your son. And at four years old, they treated him as full transgender. Um, I received an email, um, an anonymous email from my son's mother um, telling the school that Aiden is now full transgender at four years old. Um, they denied me. Were, were those their words? Full transgender? Yes, sir. Full, uh, as if we, there's a part transgender or something? Yeah. When we get off this, this thing, I'll, I can have you read the email um, and you can diagnose that yourself. Um, so I was denied uh, to ask my own questions. Um, I went as far as fi- hiring my own child therapist to sit in on this assessment. They denied me that. They denied me that. And they also denied me a phone call to ask my own questions with the doctor. 
not at one time have they ever sat me down, the father, to ask me what, what I think is going on with my son. The whole system has been stacked against me. So, uh, you know, it's uh, fun to make light of something like the ex-designation Northwestern Medicine and the gender pathways politicians slash medical professionals, or political activists slash medical professionals. But uh, when a court uh, goes to, well, somebody like over at Northwestern Medicine for this gender assessment because mom wants to pretend her two-year-old boy is a girl, and uh, then the whole system, as we've talked about throughout this year and and years past, then the whole system, and this is increasingly more so, not less so, the whole system moves with rapidity in the direction of the ideology. And anybody who stands in their way, dad, mom, mom and dad, better get out of the way. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. So California, well, you need to move. You need to move to a red state like Indiana. Meet Jeremy and Mary Cox. And uh, before you hear from Jeremy and Mary and their story, and you think, uh, oh, these are some unsophisticated people from uh, the hinterlands in the Hoosier State or something like that. Mary Cox is a clinical studies manager. She has a master's in molecular biology and biochemistry. Jeremy and Mary Cox. In June of 2021, we unfortunately had to become reluctant warriors when our child was removed from our home after DCS became involved in our family life. When our son was removed, it was like someone pulled the rug out from underneath us. Um, As a father, I believe one of my main goals is to keep my children safe. And I can't do that when the state comes into our house and takes our kid because we can't, in good conscience, affirm his transgender ideology. His disappearance made a, a huge hole in our hearts and our family, but we will always love him and pray for him. Our child was out of our home for 17, 18 months altogether, ultimately aging out of the foster care system. We were able to visit with him at his discretion, basically for about two to three hours each week. Though we pushed constantly for additional engagement, attended family therapies, Um, We were never able to have an agreement for additional time with him. So as a mom, having limited access to your children is, it's heart-wrenching. I miss his laugh. I miss being with him talking with him about everyday things, teaching him how to bake, how to cook different things. There's so many things that we are to our children, not just their first teachers, but basically their first loves. And to miss out on that during such formative time and 
in his life. We'll never get that time back. We didn't pursue an affirmational approach with our child because first, as Christians, we believe God created us as male and female. And as parents, it's our job to help our children to reach their full potential. And the only way we feel to do that is to raise our children through our Christian beliefs. Secondly, we didn't go with the affirmational approaches because we did a lot of research on this subject. There's, there are many different approaches. We spoke to multiple mental health care providers and ultimately decided that affirmation was not going to help our child. In our experience, this is not an isolated incident. There are a number of families here in Indiana experiencing the same issues that we've gone through. The mental health support services that we experienced were very much following an agenda towards affirmation only, which for our family was not going to resolve our child's issues. Don't stop clapping. Affirmation only. You will comply or we will take your kids. It's come down to this now. The government always, has complete control of our children. And we, always, we don't know what's best for them. It was always going there. Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey, good morning, you guys. I, I, I'm going to start with, uh, I found a picture of myself from sixth grade, and I'm sitting smack in the middle of the group class photo. I look, I'm dressed like the boys. I'm wearing corduroy pants and a horizontal striped shirt that I got from the Gap. I look like every other boy on, in the photograph. And I was probably a softball player, pretty much a bruiser at that time, wasn't wearing a dress. I thought you they would have, you know, in this day and age, I would have been encouraged to embrace my boy side of my life or my choice. Like if I, you know, I could have been taken aside and told, hey, how you feeling? Do you feel more like a, a boy and encouraged to do this transgender crap? Now that Genie Eyes has parentsmatter.org. Um, going so the website's a little finicky but it's out there you can find it and we're getting that petition around and we're going to go full we're going to get at it really well right after the holidays are over i've got a couple people here are going to help we're just going to walk the western suburbs and see how many people we can get signatures from too it's a it's a it's a it needs to be on the november ballot it's a simple question you can find it on um on parentsmatter.org thanks you guys thanks mary Kay. Kevin, Austin, Texas. I was happy to hear Mary Kay say that because remember two years ago, and I started listening to you when uh, COVID started. I a lot of I've got six brothers that live up in Chicago area, or five of them are still up in Chicago, area, and they told me to start listening to you because they started working at home. I remember all the enthusiasm as far as parents getting involved, passion, that type of thing, and you even talked about it. And I remember you and I had a conversation once. Once COVID is over, that passion is going to die down. So I hope that people who were passionate then and wanted to get involved, I continue. I hope they continue to do it because this stuff is still happening. People need to to do the block walking, to go out and get petitions signed. And I really hope that people that do that take over the GOP from the bottom up and the inside out. Every time I call about that, that's what it's about. People who actually care about their kids, who care about financial responsibility, 
need to get involved to change the GOP in Illinois. I'm, I'm down here in uh, Texas. We had too many conservatives run for the school board. Now it's a six to one, six uh, liberals to one, uh, one uh, uh, conservative on the school board. It's, it's, it's a brutal fight, but people have to stay engaged. Otherwise, this stuff is still going to happen. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, George Naperville. Yeah, Dan, my only comment is teachers leave our kids alone. Very good Pink Floyd impersonation there, George. Thank you. Got a text message. This is the evils of communism, Dan and Amy. We used to go across the world to fight commies, and now they're here. Uh, And uh, by the way, by the way, the uh, Genie Ives website that was mentioned for this petition that's being circulated, ParentsMatterCoalition.org. ParentsMatterCoalition.org. If you want to get involved in that petition effort to to get the uh, question that Mary Kay was referring to on next November's ballot, Mike in Plainfield. Hey, I'm so confused on this whole matter with the acronyms and crap. Like, why are we're supposed to believe there's more than one gender now, but they still have bi in their acronym? Like, does that do they admit there's only two genders? Yes, <laughs> it's a bit confusing. Bi, tri, uh, and so on and so forth. Yeah, no, I mean, there's you know, depends who you ask. How many genders exist out there? You get a different answer from Northwestern Medicine than. Uh, you will from um, the FBI, I'm sure. You know, <laughs> all of all of the experts. I mean, it, it it is it's laughable, except when the consequences are revealed in stories like the Cox's story out of out of uh, Indiana or the Vena story out of California. And that doesn't even get into all the stories we brought to you over the last year and before of the detransitioners. And kids that uh, are in a horrible place physically and mentally and emotionally because of uh, this primrose path. They were led down because as soon as you say the word, as I said, then the whole system moves in that direction and rolls over anybody trying to stop it. Including parents. And um, Chloe Cole, I mean, she yes. was on with uh, Mark Kirk, Charlie Kirk, excuse me, again yesterday saying that they told her parents... Look, there's such a high suicide rate that if you don't do this, there's a high chance, a probability that she will commit suicide. And that's all lies. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Your show keeps me alive during the week. There's nobody I'd rather listen to between 5 and 9 in the morning than you guys. On AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, uh, imbued with the holiday season we are. So um, we've got a special guest, or special guest plural, uh, the Anthony Kavalkovsky Orchestra, featuring Rob Pastore and Delilah Owens. Got a, some people to introduce here. Oh, yes. Go on. Uh, um, so uh, Rob is the tenor and Delilah's the soprano. And all of you wave, because you're, if you're watching us on our signature bank video or live stream at home there they are you can match the names with the faces uh keyboards bobby schiff bobby give us a a hello there's bobby (laughs) and uh on the bass is mike Steren. hi mike all right one of those in my house for years uh Steren. um okay 
Or a bass, you mean? The bass. Oh, you had a mic or you had a bass? <laughs> no, because Peyton played the bass. I see, I see. Yes. Okay, all right. Well, I, I mean, let's, uh, let's. Uh, I, I don't know, Maestro, take it away. I mean, you yes. give us a little bit background on the orchestra and what you're going to uh, regale us with, and let's go. Yeah, what are you going to be singing? Oh, you got to talk into the mic. Just we're going to do some sounds of the season, and uh, we're going to begin with Silent Night. Heard it. Lovely, Ooh. very good. You have wow. an angelic voice, yes, Delilah. Great voice. Thank you so much. Great voice. Wow. Yes. Amy, resist the temptation to I, chime in. I really had to because I really wanted to harmonize on that, but I did it uh, yeah. myself. Nice restraint. <laughs> Next time, jump right in. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows these songs. All right, so you guys have been together for how long, and um, are you performing anywhere this Christmas season, or how did COVID affect that? And you can, Going door to door, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> we've been performing all over. Uh, this Christmas season for various uh, venues, different events. But in the past, we've done some large um, music productions with a 44-piece orchestra. But the last one we did was right before COVID in 2019, and we just haven't been able to get it started up again since then. And um, it takes a lot of money to make those things happen. But uh, 
anyway, we're happy to be doing what we are doing and bringing Christmas cheer through music, the love and peace God sends us uh, through music. So um, beautiful voice now of, of Rob, and he's going to sing Jesu Bambino. Take it away. When blossoms flowered mid the snows upon a winter night, was born the child, the Christmas rose, the king of love and light. The angels sing, the shepherds sing, the grateful earth rejoice. And at his blessed birth, the stars their exultation How about Ooh. it? 
Give me you the know, chills I'm, there. I'm thinking Rob and Delilah. I mean, have you guys ever done like uh, America's Got Talent or something? You could be like the next Jonathan and Charlotte, the two of you together. <laughs> you know, we'll consider that. Yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you singing a number together by any chance? Sharing one microphone? Am I putting you on the spot here? Probably, yes. Uh, <laughs> do you want to? We, I, I am down to do whatever. I'm very go with the flow this morning. Yeah. If you want to come, you can come over on this side. And um, what, what number do you have next? And then later you can come on over here and use my Something mic. from Metallica, maybe? Or? <laughs> well, she'll do it by herself. Then we'll do Oh Holy Night, but we'll have to stand together. Okay. All right. Whenever you're ready, we'd love to hear the next song that you have prepared for us was one that uh, Bing Crosby was known to sing. Uh, if you hear on the radio now, White Christmas, most of the, of the time it's the Bing Crosby arrangement, which is great old Christmas classic. So, Delilah, take it away. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Lovely. Ooh. All right, do you want to come on over here for your last number? I think we're okay together. You're, you're okay together? You want to stand together? Yeah, okay. Stand together. What could go wrong? Conductor, let's get this arranged. All right, let's ready? Sure. This is, this is actually one of my favorite Christmas songs. Next to Silent Night, this is Oh Holy Night. I think it's one of the most beautiful carols written.
It's the Anthony Kowalkowski Orchestra featuring Rob Pastore and Delilah Owens, as well as on keyboards, Bobby Schiff, on the bass, Mike Sterren. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that was outstanding. Thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate it. Merry Thank Christmas you. to you all. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. All right, Dan, what do you want to say? Your final words of 2023. Uh, top of the world, Mom. No, uh, Cagner already took that. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-467. 5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.